I didn't think anybody would work for me, so I just simply hired people that nobody wanted to hire. It was just that simple. It was, I didn't have a program. I just went for the heart. Every leader faces challenges on a daily basis, and the way we navigate those challenges can make a deep and lasting impact for time and eternity. We're helping leaders discover practical tools based on biblical principles and helping you create like-minded communities who will walk with you as you lead your organization to health. Welcome to the Healthy Leaders Podcast. So today's episode is always go for the heart. This is going to be a fun one. We have lots and lots of stories and I can't wait. Some of them I've never heard. So I'm just kind of assuming it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you got some good stories for us today, don't you, Phil? Yeah. So I couldn't think of any scriptures to go with this. And, uh, okay. But it, it's just a lot of stories. Yeah. And um, we had had been running our business. We started, well, I started working in a neighbor's pig pen in 1975, mm -hmm. building porch swings. And, and then half of our house... Uh, 24 by 24 house. We were making wooden trucks with roller skate wheels and my wife was painting the art and on them and, and, uh, and we were making baby cradles. We got $10 for the wooden trucks. And, and then we, uh, in 19, about 1990, well, around 2000, uh, we left the, uh, the church that we were in, it, it just it, it just wasn't meeting our needs. And we were, uh, our children were getting older. Uh, we, we needed to expand, either, either quit our business or woodworking business or expand it. We had already done several Walmart stores. And we were looking to expand and move into the St. James, Missouri area. And I, I knew absolutely nothing about leadership. I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't even know how to lead a family. I just was a, a totally broken, bipolar, struggling man with no understanding. And I did start reading books about leadership, which helped a lot. But I, I just searched my soul, and and I remembered something. Uh, I had when I was sixteen. I worked at a clothing store in Chicago. Uh, the name of the store was Robert Hall Clothes. I don't know if any of you remember Robert Hall Clothes. And it was a great place to work. We had, uh, I had a lot of fun working with the kids there. And uh, we, the managers were great. Um, it was just, it was just a blast to work there. And we got a lot of work done. We, we just felt loved and honored and respected. And it, it was a good time. Anyways, my uncle, Bert, who was really the only man who really cared about me, I did have him in my life, and, and uh, he spoke into my life. He'd call me. He'd affirm me. He gave me a lot of direction. One time when I was doing a presentation for a sales class, he, he coached me through how to do sales, and he said, always leave an impression. <laughs> Even if you got a pee on the wall, leave an impression. <laughs> <laughs> Always leave an impression. And, and, the, and the sales teacher, the teacher in the class was so impressed that he had me do a, a presentation for his other class and then recorded it. 
So Uncle Bert spoke into my life. He was the one who told me that when all my friends were dropping out of high school and going to Vietnam, joining the Marines, he told me that I should finish high school and then either go in the Air Force or go to college. And so I was working at Robert Hall Clothes, and I got a phone call from my mother that Uncle Bert had Hodgkin's cancer. The surgeons opened him up and said there's nothing they can do for him and he was gonna die. And so I went in the back in the stock room and I sat down at the table. It was an old card table. Y'all probably know what I'm talking about. It was a one of these little brown tables about three feet by three feet. And I just started sobbing like a, a little child. My heart was broken. And the managers in, at Robert Hall were kind-hearted people. In fact, we had one guy who worked there who wasn't very kind. And then one day he didn't work there anymore. So I think they understood a little bit about workplace culture. And Mr. Baldy, I remember his name is B-A-L-D-I. I don't know anything about him more than that. I tried to find him and I can't. But he came back in the stock room and I told him what was going on. And he just stood there. I don't remember what he said. I don't remember if he cried with me or if he put his hand on my shoulder. But he did something to show me that he cared about me. He didn't um, say, well, take a few minutes and come back to work. He just shared, he just said, he just showed me that he cared about me. And so when I was struggling to find a way to, how do I lead? I said, I can do that. I can care about people. And so thank you, Mr. Baldy, if you ever hear this, if you're out there, if, if one of your descendants, he worked at Robert Hall Clothes in Bellwood, Illinois, uh, contact me and let me know. Um, but I just said, I can do that. I can care about people and, and I can be that kind of manager. So another story, uh, as we were, when we were building Walmart stores, cabinets for Walmart, or in the early days, we had a, uh, uh, superintendent and superintendents can be really tough mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're alpha males and so I was cutting out some shelving for a Walmart store that wasn't far from us in Tennessee and there was this superintendent his name was Norm and this was way before the Iraq war but everybody called him Storm and Norm and he was tough And so I was supposed to cut out some parts for some shelving and they already had the parts down at the store and the, the, the project manager decided to have the stuff brought up to me and have me cut it up there. So he called me on a Friday. He said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm taking my wife shopping. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're coming down and you're going to lead this truck driver up to your place. And he's going to, he's going to bring your, all the parts, all the wood so you can cut out the shelving. And at first I put up resistance, and but then Saturday morning I drove down, and man, I was angry the whole way. And I didn't show him any anger, and I led the truck driver up. I said I could give him a map, but he, he just wouldn't do it. And this was back in the late 80s, so we didn't have texting and email. <laughs> right. And, and, then, and then he was just constantly hard on me. Um, he, he said that the, the, the forklift had a flat tire. They had to load this by hand. He just constantly, constantly was bearing down on me. 
And one day I was standing out in the yard by the, by the project. I said, Norm, you know what? I like you. And it just cracked him. He didn't know what to say. And because um, he knew that nobody liked him. <laughs> I said, Norm, I like you. I know you're mean and you're tough, but you're doing it because you're trying to do a good job. And, and it's just like I watched his heart melt right in front of me. And then later, I, I would get phone calls from other people doing other projects and, and other, other superintendents that I didn't know. And I said, well, how'd you find about me? And they said, well, Norm told me about you. So he started sending work to me. And then the next thing I knew, he was like a, a kitten. I mean, he was tough. He had high expectations. So I started learning that that the way to work with people is to go for the heart, mm. not, not to put on a professional image. I mean, you do need to be professional and bring excellence, sure. but not to, not to become like a professional imposter. Mm. So uh, another story was um, we were looking for somebody to do our shipping for us. And I met with different shipping companies and, and I had been taking a lot of sales classes. Man, I was desperate to learn how to sell for our company. And this one guy came in, and, and I could tell he was trying every sales technique. Because I, I, I'd been to the same classes, I think. I think I'd read the same books. Right. And I just could, I, I, I could see through it, and I just, and, and it frustrated me. And then, then he told me, so what we wanted was when we were shipping something, we were having a problem. We'd ship something, and it was supposed to go to, like, say, Orlando. And, and, and it didn't get to Orlando. And we had promised people that things would be on time, and it didn't get to Orlando. And so I would have to call the shipping company and say, well, call the Memphis Terminal. <laughs> and i call the Memphis Terminal, and they'd say, well, try calling Peoria. And, and i call the Peoria Terminal, and it's just like, it was just like a bridge to nowhere. And so as I met with this guy, I told him that. I said, I can't run your company for you. I can't manage your company. I said, if I have a problem, I need to call somebody. I need to know who to call. And you call the Memphis Terminal. You call the Peoria Terminal. You make sure this thing goes through. And, and I learned that this guy, he was not a good salesman, but he was a good manager and he got things done. Hmm. So I hired him, and it proved out good. So here I am, uh, and, and we're, as we're growing, and it, it just scared the, scared the you know what out of me. Um, I mean, I went from building porch swings to working for contractors and doing kitchen cabinets, and now we're working for hotel owners, and we're building cabinets for, for these hotels. And I was on the way to meet with a hotel owner, to talk about several hotels that we were going to build cabinets for. And I called my wife and I, and I said, pray with me. I said, um, you know, in sales, they teach you how to use scripts. Scripts are like you, you say things a certain way in a certain order and it gets people to buy from you. And, and so it's, it's a manipulative technique. And, and so I called my wife and I said, Pray with me. I don't know which script to use. And so as we're praying, I hear God's Spirit say to me, don't use a script, just go for the heart. Mm-hmm. So I went, I went there and I, 
I just went for the heart. And we got the job. Let me ask you a question about that. So when you say you 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 went for the heart, what is it about like what does that mean? Like like w- going for the heart. I mean, I, I understand connecting with someone in a in a real way, like in a, a personal way, or identifying something that kind of breaks down all those barriers. But in a context like that, when you're trying to sell, like let's say for someone listening to the podcast that might be in sales, what does that mean to go for the heart rather than to go for a sales script? Well, I put a, put aside all my pretense mm. and all of my effort, my attempts to try to impress them, and I just came as me. So you can do that. It's you, okay to do. Yeah, that. it's okay to it's okay to be me. And and the Bible does make it plain that you you go you're a servant when you go. You're not a master. Mm. And that that's that's a whole topic by itself. Mm-hmm. That although I was a good cabinet maker, uh, a great a great cabinet maker is the servant. He's not the master. So he. He does what the customer wants. And, I, and in, in the early days, um, ca- cabinet makers, carpenters were notorious for trying to talk their customers into doing it a certain way. Mm. We're going to do that in another podcast mm. called A Pure and Serving Heart, by the way. So we won't get into that now. So I just went for the heart. I just, yes, I went, I was respectful. I was clean. I showed him pictures of my work. I showed him my credentials that we could do this. But I, I just went after his heart. I was more concerned about him and, and about how I could help him than I was concerned about him giving me the job, even though I was desperate for work. So, so turn that back toward uh, people ask me, how, how did we hire felons and drug addicts? Hmm. And well, in the early days, we, we hired them because I was a former drug addict because I had been fired from seven jobs, because I didn't think anybody would work for me, so I just simply hired people that nobody wanted to hire. It was just that simple. It was, I didn't have a program. And, and I hired them, and, and in the early days, we'd have, when we didn't have work, we'd, we'd study the Bible together, and we'd pray together. I didn't realize what I was doing was illegal. <laughs> But they were on the clock, and you've got to read the Bible. you got to pray, even if you're not a Christian. And, and I didn't realize it, but, but as we were progressing along, um, we, just, we just started having these heart-to-heart conversations, just caring about each other. It was all about caring about each other. So a story farther along that went with several years later we had a, a man, a young man working for us who was a five-time felon. And we actually had to let him go one time because he was doing drugs. And we had hired a man who was, um, who worked, for, he was a consultant who worked for these big fortune companies, fortune 500 companies. And he was helping us put together a hiring system. Uh, you still, you can't, you have to have systems to, to do to be able, whatever you do, the more you can create systems, the, the more successful you can be. You create a system, then you rinse and repeat, you improve the system. So he was helping us put together a system for hiring. So he interviewed this young man, and, and after he left, he said, I wouldn't hire him. He's a five-time felon. And so I was sitting in the room, and there was another couple of, of my young managers sitting in the room, and one of them was a former felon. And and a former drug addict. I think there were two that were, one was, another was a former drug addict. And we could see in this, this man that he was sincere. 
we could see his heart that he was ready to go. And we could see his heart just saying, just give me a chance and I'll prove myself. And so we took a risk on him. We went against the advice of this, 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 um, at, at this consultant. And, and the consultant didn't care. I'm going to call him Mike. And, and Mike just said, uh, you know, I, I, there, were, there were times when I had to override our professional consultants. And, and I did it respectfully and not, not arrogantly. But uh, Mike said, well, I didn't know how to talk to him. And I said, Mike, you just go for his heart. And, and so I, I worked with big contractors, with, like, with decision makers that made multi-billion dollar decisions. And the same thing applied, whether I was talking to a felon or whether I was talking to a, a decision maker that m- made multi-billion dollar decisions or when I started winning awards and I was standing in front of audiences, I just went for the heart. So... We were working for a big contractor. It was one of our. It was um, one of the first big jobs we had. It was roughly half a million dollars, and they came out and visited us and looked at our work. And we told them that we're we're relational. We're going to do a good job for you. And then the next day, they sent us this really mean email. Just like it was like from a lawyer with teeth that said, "If you don't do this, if you don't do this, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this." And I called him on the phone. And I said, look, we're going to do you a good job. But if you're going to use intimidation, then we'll finish this job. We're going to do it right, but we're not going to work for you anymore because we're not going to work under intimidation. And and, uh, I'll tell you that night, I laid in bed scared and I go, what did I just do? I mean, I took on, uh, I I talked to, to a contractor who could give us millions of dollars worth of work. And, the, and, the, and God just whispered, but you did the right thing. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking to a person who's sitting by the curb or a person who can make multi-million dollar decisions. You go for the heart and you do the right thing. So, so then in another situation, we had an estimator, a young estimator working for a, a big contractor. And we were estimating these big jobs and and this guy was constantly badgering and bantering and bullying my employees. And so we got him on the speakerphone with all my estimators. And, and I just said to him, I said, are you sure you want to act that way? I said, you could act different. You could be courteous and you could act respectful and, and we're going to work with you. But are you really sure that's how you want to act? And so he just humbled himself right in front of everybody. He said, no, I'm sorry. He said, I'll start being respectful. And, and another, another situation was um, I had a craftsman who was building something for me. I, I loved, I had all these really good craftsmen who were way better than I had ever been. And, and, and so I loved having them build pieces of furniture for me. And he was building something for me. And, and, uh, Typical of what a lot of these, a lot of shops do, uh, a lot of shops that don't make it is they make a lot of excuses. And, and so, like, I, th- I don't know who said it, but somebody said it, that a, a man that's good at making excuses isn't good at anything else. <laughs> but he just constantly was making excuses why he wasn't keeping his word. And so he's sitting in my office and he starts yelling at me. 
and he's complaining at me and he's throwing blame on me. And I just got really calm and I looked for his heart and I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him Michael. And I said, Michael, you're really good at this. I can tell that you have treated people like this before. You've you're practiced. This isn't the first time you've talked to somebody this way. And it like popped his bubble and he didn't know what to do. It's just like, it just turned the lights on. And, and it was like it brought a smile on his face. I said, you don't need to act this way, man. Just, and, and so th then there was another story of a man who was very intimidating. He, he, he just, just intimidated people left and right. And, uh, but he was a really good, skilled worker. He, he held a, one of the top roles in our company and, and, and a very skilled worker, um, good guy. I loved him. You know, I, I just loved all of our employees. I didn't care what they'd done. I always told them, and I don't care what you've done, uh, just so you draw a hard line on it and don't go across the line and become the person you know you need to be and we'll help you get there. And so he comes into my office. There were some several employees that were having a problem with him because he was he was pushing them around and bullying them. And he looks at me. He says, "I have multiple personality disorder." And I look back at him and I said, "Well, I just think all of you need to behave." <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what to do with me. Well, so w when you're dealing, so what what I'm hearing you say is. If you can be genuine and honest and authentic and talk to people as if they're people and not talk to people as if they're a stepping stone to another opportunity, yeah. then like, in fact, you and I just talked about that this morning. When I, when I first met Phil, I'll share a quick story. When I first met Phil, I was coming out of a season in my, uh, in my work life where uh, I was changing direction significantly. I was starting my company. I was getting out of another, another industry altogether. And in a lot of ways, I didn't really know how to do what it was that I knew I wanted to do. I knew where I was headed, but I didn't know how to, how to do it well. And so I was trying to, you know, they, they, they talk about fake it till you make it. And they talk about trying to, you know, if you, if you want to go somewhere, you want to do something, just pretend like you've got the skill to get there and eventually it'll come. And in one sense that is true, but in another sense it can cause you to become inauthentic. And so when Phil and I first met, I, all I knew about Phil was what I had seen on his website and what other people had told me about him. I'd never actually talked with him. <clears throat> and uh, maybe I'll have you share the cookie story in a moment. Uh, but Phil, we, we met, we talked about his heart and what it was that he wanted to do. Um, and then he handed me a box of cookies, uh, at the end, actually Jenna, his wife handed me a box of cookies and, uh, we shook hands and I left and I got to my truck and I opened up the box of cookies and I, I read the letter and the note inside and something changed in my expectations in that moment where I realized this is not just a normal business transaction. There's something deeper here going on. There's something more significant to this than just an, uh, a transactional relationship. And it really changed the tone. And I think from that day forward, I told you this morning, it's part of the reason why I think I'm still here uh, is because I recognize that what it is that we're trying to do with this project and with this podcast and, and all the other things that we're working on 
is, uh, is so much deeper than just a transactional relationship. We're really trying to give you the tools and the resources to make Christ first in your life and ultimately uh, using your platform as a business leader to do that. Do you want to talk, do you want to share the cookie story? Sure. But even setting Christ aside, I mean, just the Bible and prayer. Yeah. It's such, such a high standard. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, the Bible and prayer will lead you to Jesus. Right. But it just, it sets a, yeah. So the cookie story, it started back in um, probably the early 80s. And it was when we were really poor, we just started our business and, and we couldn't afford groceries and we would raise everything. We had a real old rototiller and we raised things, we canned everything. And we bought corn and wheat from the farmers and hand ground it. And that's how we had bread. And we were making cookies, so dessert, pies, everything, even our ice cream. We, hand, we, we had a hand crank ice cream machine if you wanted ice cream. And... Yeah, we eventually, we had nine children. And so we had bought this 50-pound bag of dried apples for a few dollars. And they were so hard, they cut your mouth to eat them. And, and so we found if we soaked them in water and add them in cookies, the cookies were really good. Hmm. So we decided to make this cookie, this, like this, this big everything cookie. And we put everything in it. I mean, chocolate chips, oatmeal, raisins, sunflower seeds, just and and the apples, everything we could think of, and we made these big cookies, and we started giving them to people. Like truck drivers would come, and we give them to the truck drivers, and then we we gave them to contractors. We go to contractors' offices and vendors, and and just started giving them away, and and it we really created goodwill, and 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 it was just kind of a nice thing to do to give to people. You know, just it was just a nice gift to bring. There's somebody uh, said that uh, whenever you whenever you come into the presence of somebody greater than you, always bring a gift in your hand. Mm. And I think in the Middle East they practice that. Mm. So this was a great thing to bring a cookie and I mean a, a box of cookies. And so we kept doing that, and we called it the Everything Cookie. And our girls baked it, so we had four girls at home, so and my wife, and so it was a great thing to do. We actually had a contractor give us a large job. Uh, we were in the running for with several other cabinet shops, and he gave us a large job because of the cookies. Hmm. All other things were equal, and he said he never had anybody give him cookies before. And so we started becoming famous for our cookies. Yeah. And we've, we've given away literally thousands of cookies. And people would complain if we didn't give them cookies. <laughs> so... Uh, I've got a picture of my, my children when they were little. I wrote the cookie story. People like reading the cookie story. And um, so I'll give you uh, a quick story on the cookie story, uh, on the cookies. Uh, we were uh, meeting, we were working for a very, very large company that was giving us lots and lots of work. And uh, there was us and three other shops that were doing all the work for this one company around the country. And we, we met with them and we didn't understand how big corporations worked. And so I got kind of caught off guard. So it's me and my sons and we're meeting in this big conference room and there's, there's 
executives and architects sitting in this room and we had brought them a bunch of cookies. They, they started telling us how we were charging too much and we needed to figure out how to get our price down. And of course, I knew enough that we can't just give you a discount while we're looking at you. We got to go home and figure our numbers. And yeah, we appreciate your business and you're giving us a lot of volume. And and so we need it. We will we'll we'll sit down. We'll figure out how to, if there's a discount we can give you. And one of the guys stands up. He looks at me and he points at me, and he says, "Look, we're not here to be your friends." And then just it, my my reaction, my first immediate reaction is, "Well, then you can't have any cookies." <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell. And yeah, and it's like, but when that you can laugh now, but. The whole room went silent. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, what? What did I just say? Yeah, what did I just say? <laughs> so what happened? And uh, anyways, uh, as far as I know, they still work for this company. So <laughs> we, we, we did keep their business. So Did you give them cookies? Yeah, we gave them cookies. Yeah, of yeah. course we did. Of course. We went for the heart. And we gave them a discount. And yes. So the moral of the story is if you go for the heart, Sometimes people won't like it. They, they, uh, man, I, and I've had experiences like that with people where they want to be in a transactional relationship so bad because they don't, because they don't know how to go for the heart either. Mm -hmm. I think in, in, in that story that that gentleman didn't understand that you weren't there to do a job for him. You were, you were there to have a relationship with them and, and, the service that you provided was the result of the relationship that you were developing with them. Right. And you're able to continue to provide that relationship or, or, or that, that service because the strength of the relationship, as soon as that relationship is marginalized and it becomes a purely transactional relationship, then it, it's either bound to fail or fall apart or um, no one will be happy mm -hmm. in the long run. And that's, that's going to, that's, we're referencing another podcast, a series of podcasts we're going to do called Other Forms of Currency. Yep. So in, in, the, in the absence of cur the currencies of relationships, mm. then money is the only thing that people divert to. I think you, the, the quote is when, when, when uh, people always make a decision or a buying decision based on how they feel first. They'll look for the value uh, and how they feel first. And, and then if they can't find that, then they just go for the cheapest option. Right. It's always about the money. And, right. and as uh, Seth Godin says, then it's about the lowest bidder. Mm -hmm. And the, the lowest bidder is, is called the race to the bottom. Right. And he said the, per, the people who got a business quickest are the ones who come in second in the yeah. race to the bottom. Yeah. But the people who are racing to the bottom, they're going to go out of business, yeah. put themselves out of business. So you've got to have other forms of currency that you're giving people. So anyways, uh, I think that's enough for today. I do too. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. And uh, again, we want to encourage you, if you have questions or want, want access to resources, I'd encourage you to go over to philcohen.co and reach out to us. We have a contact form on the page there. You can reach out and connect with us uh, directly. And uh, we'd love to, to meet with you. If you would like to start a campfire group in, in your community or you want to bring the Bible and prayer into your workplace, please reach out to us. That's why this whole thing exists. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing you on the next episode. Take care. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Healthy Leaders Podcast as we journey together toward healthy biblical leadership. If you're facing a particular challenge in your organization, please visit healthy-leaders.org. We would love to help you lead your organization to health.